Good morning, everyone. Let's take our seats. Our lector for this morning is Brian. First Daniel, verse 17 through 21. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded them that they should be brought in, the chief of the units brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king, and the king spoke with them. Among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding, about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. First Daniel 17-21. Morning all. Let's pray. Father, we seek your presence to illuminate every corner of our lives, that you would give us wisdom and understanding uh, that would be ten times better than, than all that presented by uh, the world and its methods. We ask, Lord, that as we think about our own workplaces, about our own unique challenges, about the own um, difficulties and hazards, we ask, Lord, that you would give us insight as we consider the ways of these faithful men uh, in the dark place in which they walked. We ask, Lord, that your strength would come upon us and that you would fill us with all kinds of peace. We ask, Lord, that you would be with us and that you would guide our way. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I've never been a big fan of Halloween, but there have been some years of my life where I could kind of, sort of, sidestep it. There are ways you could say, well, all right, yeah, whatever, I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to really face it. There's really no need to make a big deal out of this. And then, now my kids are old enough that they're starting to get a sense for the different ways that Halloween is perceived. There is a house, perhaps about two blocks from my house, that is a firm believer in the, if it's not enough to keep, any decoration which is not frightening enough to keep you up until 3 a.m. and to frighten every child such that they never want to walk on your block ever again is just not scary enough. So they, they tried to pull out every, you know, every item in the frightening, bloody, scary, uh, disturbing hat, and they just put it all out there on their lawn. And way back in the day, Halloween might have been a time where people said, you know what, Jesus has defeated the evil powers, let's go make fun of them together. And the, you know, people trotted out their hilariously silly, scary things, which are not so scary anymore because of the cross. But as, you know, American culture has progressed and changed, we've become more fascinated with the scary things themselves. Uh, we've, we've stepped into an era where there can be shows like American Horror Story, where there's incredible over-the-top gore, incredible over-the-top uh, celebration of evil. And as my, uh, as my daughter put it, I like Halloween because of the pumpkins. I don't like Halloween because all of the scary things. So it's a... There is a sense in which we are beginning to grapple with the fact that our culture is moving more and more in the directions of appreciating spiritual darkness. And, you know, if I was one of those preachers, we could could go on and we could examine every aspect of our culture and talk about how our culture is becoming more evil. But realistically, I don't think it's very necessary. Most of us recognize that there's more and more celebration of violence and and, uh, wanton sexuality, and that these things are pretty well known. So instead of saying, our culture is bad, the much more useful question is, how do we stay faithful as the culture around us changes? And especially, as as we kind of read the last chapter of our talk on Uh, the theology of work, and especially Christ in the workplace, what do we do as the spiritual atmosphere of our job becomes darker and darker? When we're asked to participate in work in ways which uh, begin to push harder and harder against our conscience, 
When we, when we say, man, our employer is going to ask us to do things we really don't want to do, and which go against everything the Bible teaches us, well, the Bible has given us guides for how those interactions might go. People who lived in, you might say, the land of Halloween. They lived in a place where the, the, the dark shadows were normal. And people said, hey, what's the matter with that? That's, that's ordinary, isn't it? And of course, we're talking about uh, the book of Daniel. Daniel is in many ways one of my favorite books. Uh, Daniel 1 through 6 is one of the sharpest and most easily applicable pictures of how we can live as bright lights in a dark world. And it's particularly interesting when we talk about theology of work because Daniel had his job picked out for him. It was forced upon him. Daniel didn't get to choose what he would do for a living. It was chosen, it was chosen literally by force. People kidnapped him from his homeland and brought him away to do a particular job. And you say, oh, okay, uh, all right. If I was kidnapped and forced to work, I bet I could serve the Lord Jesus wherever they took me, right? If they have me doing farm work, well, I'll farm for the Lord. If they took me doing accounting, well, I'll be an accountant for the Lord. So Daniel says, okay, so what's my job? Diviner. Oh, astrology. Oh, read the, read the livers of dead chickens. Oh, that's a real one, by the way. They actually did that. So uh, there are mentions of that in the prophets and so on. King Nebuchadnezzar is just trying to decide what to do, so he consults the liver. You know, they would just take the liver out of a dead chicken, and they'd be like, hmm, what do those folds say? So being a diviner was not an easy job to find Jesus in, as you might guess. And, and as we look at today, how Daniel and his three friends did it, it goes a lot to tell us how we might find um, faithfulness in the workplace, especially as our workplaces become darker and darker. So uh, if, you could, if you have your Bibles, could you open up with me to Daniel 1? Daniel 1. And you need to understand that the story of Daniel at work begins with Daniel's attitude. And you might also notice that it begins with the fact that Daniel, at no point of the story, is alone. He, in beginning the story, at its maximum, trauma, at its maximum trauma, and the and the story of Daniel is a story full of trauma. He has three friends with him, and this is a this is a big part of the whole story. How many of us, when we start getting into the uh, into our disciple groups, into Friday night fellowship, it's easy for us to go, man, I came here, it's, I've just come from work, man, do I not want to talk about work right now. Anyone had that experience? But part of what you'll find is that these four men, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, part of how they're able to maintain their identity, even living in Babylon, is the fact that they have each other. Sure, maybe the Babylonians call them by their Babylonian names, but they only ever think of themselves by their Hebrew names, by the names where they carry the name of God and not the name of the Babylonian gods. And because of that, they're able to stay faithful. So in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar. Now, why say Shinar and not Babylon? They're, they're the same place, right? Why use the older name? Well, here is why. Way back in Genesis, you might remember that after, the, after the, the humans had been kicked out of the holy mountain of the Garden of Eden, they decided they were going to make their own holy mountain, their own artificial holy mountain. A ziggurat, a step pyramid facing up towards the stars, where they were going to reach up to heaven and pull God down. They built a tower, the, the Tower of Babel, which is really just the Hebrew word for Babylon. And the Tower of Babylon, you might say, was the anti-Jerusalem. Rather than it being the place that God had chosen to place his name, 
It was the place that humans had chosen to make a name for themselves. It was, to put it a little bit differently, hell on earth. If Jerusalem was considered, in the Old Testament, the holiest place on the planet, then the city of Babylon was considered the unholiest, the most profane place on the planet. They, they literally would have thought about the city of Babylon being, in a meaningful way, hell on earth. It was where Satan had his throne, to their way of thinking. And this is where King, Be King Nebuchadnezzar took them. And it doesn't take a whole lot of logic to say that if Babylon was in many ways the kingdom of hell, who then is standing in the place of the devil? The king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar himself. And as we pursue this question of the story of how did Daniel remain faithful at work when his, fate, when his work was so hostile to God, in many ways what you'll find is this story is also the story of King Nebuchadnezzar and the story of the progress of his own mind and heart. Now, what you'll find is, and this is a big one, the, 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 three, the, the four friends in Babylon survive uh, because they maintain community with one another. They survive because they show both courage and diplomacy in the way they face authority. Whenever they talk to the king, they tell exactly the truth. They do not soften it. They do not back, back down, but they are also impeccably polite. They are never rude, and they always hope that, that, their, that their boss will respond in the most positive possible way. They have courage, but they also have diplomacy. And then the other thing you see as you begin uh, looking at them is that they have great patience. They don't expect that Babylon will be transformed in one big experience, but they're patient over the course of years and decades to see what God will do in the place where they are working. And as you begin to see how these qualities start to work on their uh, job, you'll see that there are really, well, there are six great events in the book of Daniel, but we're really going to focus on five of them today because we're interested in Daniel himself. And the, the story of the fiery furnace really focuses in on his three friends which is also a great story and you should totally read it, but we're not going to handle that in great detail today. But what you would find if you read that story, it, is, it has all the same themes as you would find just looking at the Daniel narrative. They, 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 they're courageous, they're diplomatic, uh, they respect the king, but they, don't, but, they, but they don't give in to the king's way of thinking, uh, and they, they hang together as a group. You'd find all of those things in that story as well. Uh, but what you'll find is through these five events in the life of Daniel, he survives in Babylon from the very beginning of the exile to the very end of the exile. He spends literally 70 years living in a hostile country, doing an amazing job. He ends up serving generations of kings across three different regimes, which let me tell you, that is not easy. Find me an official that's been working in the U.S. government since the time of Reagan, and I'll find you an official who everyone must like, because, because the presidents that have come since then, from then till now, have been insanely different from one another. And Daniel survived in Babylon despite having to deal with uh, really three different regimes, with three different personalities. Uh, king Nebuchadnezzar, and then he has to deal with a party king, and then he has to deal with the much more serious Babylonians, uh, Persians. And he succeeds in each of those places because the Lord was with him. And he knew the Lord was with him. And because of that, he was free to have courage and speak the truth as long as he did it with respect for authority. So if we look at uh, Daniel 1, you'll begin to see that Daniel did not choose his job. His job chose him. And he was brought into it not kindly, but entirely by force. Lots of force. So, uh, you know, he, they brought him to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. 
Now, the first thing you might notice here is who, who is Daniel's immediate supervisor? It's the chief eunuch. And that tells you the first great trauma of Daniel's life. Probably the less I say about that, the better. Except that uh, Daniel's hope for the future must have seemed like not a whole lot. He didn't know if he'd ever go back to find his homeland. He was brought to a new country with different gods. His hope of a family and a future was cut short. So he was... I'm glad to see somebody got that. So... He was, so, and it was, this was not an easy, so obviously this was not an easy time for Daniel or his friends. They would ha, it would have been easy for them to lose all hope of the future and just choose to be like everyone around them. Because after all, the Lord, the God of Israel, has abandoned us, right? But the very first decision they made, as soon as they got there, is they said, no, we are going to be faithful and we are going to maintain our identity. The king assigned them, and this is the first conflict, the first uh, great emergency of the five. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. In other words, they were getting the absolute best food and drink in Babylon. This was the, the cause for the first great conflict. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were, were Daniel... Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But those names might be a little more familiar to you, aren't they? Being given a new name means that there is a new way that people can perceive you. means there's a new way you can think about yourself. Meaning you have to choose who you will be and who you will become. And it would have been easy for Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah to become, in truth, Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they chose not to. They said, screw it, we're going vegan. Why? Nobody would have known the difference if they ate the king's food. Everyone else was doing it. Nobody was watching them. Nobody was keeping them accountable. So they actually had to pledge together, we are going to keep ourselves pure in these things. Because they saw what was going on, and they saw that King Nebuchadnezzar was sacrificing, was sacrificing bulls to his god, uh, Marduk, uh, whose, whose title, Bel, is in Daniel's Babylonian name. And they were, and these, and this meat was being eaten by the king and then being passed down to be given to them. And they saw this steak and they said, man, this steak was sacrificed to Marduk, you know, four hours ago. And Daniel goes, I'm not eating that. And once Hananiah sees Daniel say that, he goes, I'm not eating that either. And they agree together, they're not going to eat the meat that's been sacrificed to idols. They're not going to drink the wine that's been poured out as libations to idols. That's really what this is about. This is, they're saying, in no, we may be living in Babylon, but we are not going to serve the gods of Babylon. When you go to an interview and you interview for a job, one of those questions that you're just theoretically supposed to ask each time is you're supposed to say something like, tell me about the, comp the, the company culture. Let me know about the work culture. What's, what's it like? And Daniel and his friends have decided that, the work, that in the work culture of Babylon, they're going to be a counterculture. This is, a, this is a dangerous thing that they are attempting here. They know they're going against the, the flow of what everyone is doing. And in doing this, they are probably going to be looked at a little bit sideways in the process. People are going to say to them, why are you doing this anyway? And don't you realize that this is harmful to company morale? And there will be times where we will have to do things that will be contrary to, to company morale. There are going to be times where we say, uh, Lord, I, am, I have chosen to follow you, and I'm not going to be able to 
do what my company's asking me to do. How do I handle this? And look at how they choose to handle it. They don't say, well, screw you. We have our own God and our own ways. Well, screw you. you, you didn't, we didn't have a choice here. You brought us here by force. They could have had a bad attitude and rebelled against the authority of Babylon and the king. They totally could have done it. And it would even have been understandable. It just wouldn't have been the Lord's way of doing things. What they instead do is they propose a, uh, uh, what, what do you call it now? A um, evidence-based practice. They say, let's, uh, let's, let's examine this. Let's test this. Let's run a little experiment. They say, we're going to do things. We would like permission to do things our way. We are not Babylonians. We are, in fact, distinct. We serve our own God, a God of heaven, a God who is very jealous and won't let us worship any other gods. So tell you what, allow us to skip the food that's been sacrificed, and we're actually going to eat only vegetables and drink only water. Some of you are like, how do I know that Babylon is hell on earth? Because I can eat only vegetables and drink only water there, right? And, uh, this is, and this is what they are, they're compelled to do. So they, def- they resolved that they would not defile themselves with the king's food. So he, so he asked them, and he received favor. But the chief of the eunuchs says to Daniel, I'm really afraid, because if I give in and I let you do this, the king is going to see that you're like wasting away, and he's going to take it out on me. So he said, let's do an experiment. Let's, let's try this out for a few weeks, and at the end of those few weeks, Check us out and examine us and see if we're falling short of any of the other young men in the king's service. So they examine them at the end of the time and they find out that they're healthier, they're better looking, they've suddenly gotten super ripped and nobody can tell why because there's no protein in their diet. And they're, they realize that in the midst of them choosing to honor the Lord, that the Lord really has blessed them. And because they've made this first act of faithfulness, they've chosen against the evidence to remain pure, that that the Lord himself has said, I will be with you and continue to bless you in the midst of Babylon. And this is no small thing. Because back in the ancient world, people associated spirits with territory. If you were in Israel, everyone knew the God of Israel had power there. But what if you were brought to a different land? Would, would your gods have power in a different land? Maybe they weren't so sure. They, they had the theology of it, but sometimes our theology and our feelings don't really match up, do they? But this first choice to live by faith for the four friends must have, must have sealed their understanding of what it meant to serve the Lord in Babylon. They said, if the Lord can protect us eating just vegetables and, and drinking just water, then how much more will he protect us in all of the other crises that we must face? And almost right away, they will hit their second crisis. They have to go and see the king. And, they, and they have to, they're asked all the questions about divination. They're asked about what's coming in the future. They're asked about the motions of the celestial bodies. They're, they're asked all sorts of... Uh, they're, they're put through a comprehensive exam. And their wisdom is found to be, in all things, ten times better than the knowledge and wisdom of the astrologers and enchanters of Babylon. And this is, one of, and this is our great and primary challenge, which is to say, in the workplace, do we believe that remaining faithful, instead of saying, well, this is a sacrifice I'm making, if I choose to follow the Lord, I am choosing not to compete in the great rat race. If I follow the Lord, it means that I am, I am giving up all of the shortcuts and all of the uh, advantages that the people around me have. D- does it mean, a- a- and, we, and a real element of fear comes in to serving uh, in the workplace, because we say, oh man, what happens if I spend all of my time cementing my place in my organization, and then just once, I'm, I'm asked, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm yelled at for using the wrong set of pronouns for one of my coworkers. And then, man, I'm right back to square one. The question of how do I remain faithful 
can easily become for us a matter of fear. It's a matter of saying, if I trust God, I'm going to give up everything. But Daniel and his friends see that, that by maintaining their purity at work, they actually receive a competitive advantage rather than making a competitive sacrifice. And this is where faith really comes into, will I bring Jesus with me to work? The, the second great uh, trial, and it's the one where we see Daniel at his most fearless and at his most diplomatic, is the matter of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Now, if we read the whole chapter, forget it. This would not be a, uh, a short sermon. This would be, we'd, we'd be in the middle of a whole like, three-hour workshop or something. So we're not going to read every part of every passage, but it's, it's a really well-known story. King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. The dream scares the living daylights out of him. And when the, king of when the king of Babylon has a dream, he, of course, immediately calls on his diviners, the people who are skilled, who are wise, who are able to interpret dreams. But he recognizes this one is different. And he says, look, I'm not going to tell you guys what my dream is, because if I do, you're just going to consult your books, and you're going to give me a BS answer, stalling for time. And I know this is something real. I know this is something that's from the gods. Tell me my dream, and then tell me the interpretation. And he goes, and if you don't do this, I'm going to kill you all. And Daniel goes, huh? Like, he starts to freak out. And he says, look, tell the king, I'll tell him, give me till tomorrow, and I will give him his answer. So Daniel sleeps on it, and in the night, God reveals to him King Nebuchadnezzar's dream and gives him the interpretation. Problem solved, Right? Well, maybe not so much, because the actual content of what, of what King Nebuchadnezzar dreamed, if Daniel explains it accurately, he is just as likely to get killed as he was if he didn't explain it at all. Because the, 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 the vision is basically this. He said, I saw an enormous statue, and the, and the head of it is gold. And then the rest of it is made of different other metals, and, they, and the, the top part represents King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom which is the best, but temporary. And one day you'll be replaced by other kingdoms which are not as good as yours. And then finally, the God of heaven will smash the whole statue and bring it down and set up, up his own kingdom, not made with hands, which will never fail or fade away. An eternal kingdom with an eternal king. king in other words, he's saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, you're nice for now, but you're temporary and the God of heaven will replace you, and he'll, he'll set up someone who's better. You will not live forever. Your heirs will not live forever. Your kingdom will eventually fall. And this obviously is not what King Nebuchadnezzar wants to hear. And for Daniel to share it, <clears throat> when he does share it, he says things like, Oh, king, live forever. Here is your dream. Here, and and he, the way he shares it, he doesn't, he doesn't point and laugh, and he doesn't say, oh, ha, ha, just like how you took away my, uh, just like how you took me out of, out of Judah and carried me away, just like how you uh, brought me out of the, the uh, Jewish royal family in the same way the Persians are going to get rid of your kids, ha, 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 ha. Daniel could be completely obnoxious about it. And somehow there's this kind of unwritten rule out there in the church, that if we want to speak the truth to our culture, that we feel the need to be obnoxious about it. We need to troll as much as possible. We need to fill all the YouTube comments with, with all of the uh, most devastating critiques of wokishness that we possibly can. And in doing this, we are sort of missing the point. Because Daniel's point in speaking to the king is never just to speak condemnation. Speaking just condemnation is frankly kind of easy. To say, you know what, the God of heaven is going to bring you down. Like, that's cheap. But what Daniel is trying to do is not just to bring the, the accurate word of God to King Nebuchadnezzar, but to show King Nebuchadnezzar that there is a way that he should respond to it. He's saying, look, King Nebuchadnezzar, please, see the truth of what God is telling you and humble yourself. Where you are is good. You've been given by God responsibility over the whole world and even the birds of the air and the animals of the field and things like that. 
But if, you, but if you can't recognize that it's God who gave it to you, then you're going to miss out. And you will simply fall and learn nothing. And King Nebuchadnezzar honors him and raises him up and gives him a place of authority. And he acknowledges that what Daniel shared is true, but he misses the point. And this is where patience comes in. Because if we were to say, look, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to make sure that I have personal integrity in the way that I handle my job. I'm going to, I'm going to do the right thing, not just when people are watching me, but also when they're not watching me. I'm going to save my social media time for my home time. And when I'm at work, I'm going to be actually working. If we live this way, it's easy, it's easy to say, hey, I will be personally successful, but we might not reach the point where we're seeing um, lar a larger scale change. In our hearts, we may still be in the Lord's temple, but outside, we're still in Babylon. Da we have, Daniel is in Babylon for 70 years, and we have five stories, basically, about his life. We don't see him constantly lobbying the king, saying, have you thrown away Marduk yet? You're still worshiping Marduk, aren't you? When are you going to change your name? You have Nabu in your name. And Nabu is a false god. And Daniel, doesn't, Daniel isn't preaching every day. But what Daniel is doing is remaining faithful. And he's counting on God to give him the right chance at the right time. So much of how we, we bring Christ into our workplace is by refusing to change ourselves and then being patient to see how God will work to change those who are around us. And this is what Daniel and his three friends ultimately do. And as they see God work, they respond to what God is doing in a way that brings transformation to those who are around them. So for a while, things are okay. And, but what will end up happening is the king does not get the point. He's like, all right, this answered my dream. At least I'm okay for now. But then he builds a giant statue, exactly like the giant statue in his dream. But where the giant statue in his dream had a head of gold that represented his kingdom, he builds the entire statue of gold. In other words, he gives the god of his dream the finger. He says, you think, you think that I'm going to be replaced, huh? Fat chance. And, he, and in building a whole statue of gold and forcing all the people to worship it, He's saying, no, I am the king. I am God. I will last forever. Don't say that I'm going to fall and be, and be replaced by somebody else. And the Lord says to him, okay, buddy. So, of course, there's the famous incident of the fiery furnace, which is a great story, but not one which we're reading today. And it leads directly into King Nebuchadnezzar's second dream. And in his second dream, Daniel has a second message to deliver, which is even nastier than the first. And we would be tempted to think that he might cut short some of the meaning that God intended to give out. How many of you guys have ever had to give a hard word to somebody? You had to really confront them and say, yo, man, what you're doing, it's messed up. Got to change. If it doesn't change, bad things will happen. It's not a fun thing to do. And the nicer you are as a person, the, uh, the, harder, the harder it is to do. Like really confronting someone, especially someone that has authority over you, takes some serious, well, the, those things that Daniel didn't have. So, there's a, so as he gets into uh, doing it, King, Nebuch King Nebuchadnezzar says, man, I had this second dream. And in the dream, I saw this great tree, and the tree covered the whole earth. And an angel cut it down and said, he used the phrase watcher, which is very Babylonian, but he means an angel. And this, this angel said, bind up the stump and leave it for the proper time. And at the proper time, we'll, we'll deal with this again. And Daniel recognizes what the dream means. And it says his face turned pale as if he was afraid because judgment was being pronounced against King Nebuchadnezzar. And this, to me, is one of the most striking parts of Daniel's whole life. Why did his face turn pale in explaining the dream? 
And, he's, and he actually calls out and he says, O King Nebuchadnezzar, I wish this dream applied to your enemies instead of you. Daniel, super polite, super diplomatic. We could learn a thing or two from him about how to address people who are uh, outside the church. He speaks the truth, but he does it in a way that is intentionally non-offensive. As much as it depends on him, he wants the message itself to be the problem and not the messenger. Not only that, Daniel genuinely hoped that King Nebuchadnezzar would repent. He genuinely hoped that King Nebuchadnezzar would be able to continue to stand, that he would, that he would grow and become better instead of declining and becoming more evil. So for him, this message was like saying, you're running out of time, buddy, and he knew it. And King Nebuchadnezzar, of course, the, the, the dream comes true. And, he is, and King Nebuchadnezzar is brought low. His, his, his sanity is taken from him. His, his reason disappears. And he's led out into the field to live like a wild animal for seven years, I believe. And at the end of that time, he is he's found and he's brought back and he worships the God of heaven and he repents for his life. <clears throat> Through all this, we've seen that, that Daniel has been patient, that he has spoken the truth in every situation where the Lord has called upon him to speak, and that in doing it, he has shown honor to authority rather than rebellion. These are the qualities the Lord is looking for us uh, at the office. He wants us to be those who are respectful even to our darkest and most brutish and evil co-workers, even to those who think that the world revolves around them, the whole world did revolve around, in many ways, King Nebuchadnezzar. And yet, Daniel was, was, was asked to confront him in a way that was loving, in a way that was kind, but which was nevertheless truthful and not compromised. And without, without, the, without those four friends together, I really doubt whether he could have done it. I doubt whether he could have screwed up the courage to get the truth. It is so much easier to actually speak truth to those who are in power when you know you have buddies back home praying for you. Now, if you don't have anybody at work, fear not. We have lots of people here at church that really care about hosting the presence of God in our entire lives, and we'd be happy to pray for you regarding your workplace. But I will say this. It is even better if you have at least one believing colleague if you have even one other believer at your workplace and you can pray together for your workplace, oh man, you're going to see so much more power. It's going to be so much easier to stay faithful. It's going to be so much easier to step up if you have just one other person who's willing to say, hey guys, let's pray for the job together. If you've got more than one, fantastic. But even one more makes such a huge difference in terms of staying faithful. And then you get to the, the last two trials are the ones where you see that Daniel has real staying power. The, the fourth one is, during the, is, is the during the time of King Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. Yes, uh, Bel, Belshazzar is his grandson. Make no mistake, da Daniel's name is Belteshazzar, and uh, the king's name is Belshazzar. So yes, I know that gets complicated and confusing. But this has been a party king. He is not a serious ruler like Nebuchadnezzar. And it seems in many ways like all of Daniel's work has gone nowhere. He spent years of his life reaching out to King Nebuchadnezzar and he finally got somewhere. King Nebuchadnezzar has a serious claim to being one of the darkest and most evil men in history. And the fact that redemption entered into his story, like that's got to be considered one of the great wins of the Bible. If I get to heaven one day, and, you know, my, my, my life expires. And one of the folks who comes out to greet me is King Nebuchadnezzar II of Babylon. I'll be like, what? You really made it? And I'll be like, yeah, I know, right? I really made it. And we'll, like, party together and we'll chest bump and, you know, it'll be exciting times. But can you imagine having a big win like that? And then just, like, a couple years later, his grandson is just as bad? You're like, oh, man, what was it all for anyway? Patience, patience, 
and more patience. And not only is this king a party king, King Belshazzar, he parties using the sacred things of God. He takes the cups from the temple and the plates from the temple, the things that his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar brought from the temple in Jerusalem, and he uses them to pour out wine to the gods of stone and metal and wood. He, uh, he blasphemes in a pretty intense way. And the writing appears on the wall. You know, you hear people say, I can see the writing on the wall. Yeah, they saw the writing on the wall. There were the fingers of a human hand appeared and started writing on the wall, extra freaky, uh, perhaps very Halloween appropriate. And they pronounced judgment against the king of Babylon. They basically said, your days are numbered, that the Babylonians are gonna, uh, the Persians are going to come and kill you and take your kingdom. <clears throat> and Daniel is called in, actually, by the queen mother to come and solve the problem. And he's offered great rewards if he can answer the problem. Now, what motivation does he have to do it? What reason does he have to let them know what the word of the Lord is at all? Because after all, who feels loyalty to a company that's about to be taken over by another company? You're like, dude, we're about to like, be bought out. I'm probably going to be downsized as soon as this merger goes through. The odds of my still working here in a year are like really slim. Why should I do anything for you? Right? And this is one of the things you see throughout Daniel's life. In the situations where he has no external pressure to do the right thing, he says, I'm not working for you. I'm working for God. And if the, I get no other benefit out of this other than obeying God, that's benefit enough for me. And he reads him the writing on the wall. And King Belshazzar honors him, dresses him in purple, makes him the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And that could be profoundly dangerous because that very night the whole kingdom is overthrown. The whole time that, that Daniel has been interpreting the message that the, the Persians have been crawling up into the city through the sewers, and they kill, they kill King Belshazzar, they end his dynasty, and you would think they would kill Daniel. After all, he's the guy wearing purple. He's the guy with the gold chain. When you, when you end a dynasty and set up your own, usually you look for the guys with the most bling and you kill them first, right? But Daniel hangs on, and the Lord keeps using him until we end up with the... Famously, with the final section with the lion's den, which goes to show us that even if you are completely faithful, even if you do the right thing, even if you are the most incorruptible person at your job, even if you obey God at all times, will you have enemies? Yeah, you're still going to have enemies. Jesus was sinless, and he had enemies. Daniel was, Daniel was blameless in all of his job. He was full of integrity. His enemies looked for dirt on him and they couldn't find any despite the fact that he'd been serving for like 70 years. If, if you've been serving for 70 years and people can search your record and not find anything wrong, you have done an amazing job. And there are still people who want to see him fed to the lions. They just can't get rid of him soon enough. So again, if you are faithful in the workplace, you won't have an easy ride of it. You, I cannot guarantee you a path with no enemies because even Daniel could face enemies. Even Jesus could face enemies. There, will there be evil people in your path? Yes. Daniel's boss was consistently evil through almost his entire life. But whenever the evil that they faced, that they presented, and the good that he represented came into conflict, he refused to back down, and he also refused to get cranky and have a bad attitude. And through it all, the Lord was with him and blessed him and established him. Until by the end of the, not the end of the book of Daniel, but the end of the narrative of, the, of Daniel, you see that the king of Persia is also saying, praise be to the God of heaven, who is able to lift Daniel out even from the lion's den. So let's be people who are willing to be faithful in our workplace, faithful if necessary, even to the point of firing. Are we likely to be thrown to the lions? Are we likely to be cast into a fiery furnace? I don't know, man. Check again in, in, in 10 or 20 years. 
But as it is now, if we are willing to be faithful to the point of saying, if I am fired, I am fired. I'm still not going to bow down to your, to your golden image, O king. If we are willing to say, I'm going to be pure and I will not uh, contaminate myself with the, with the, the standard issue problems of our company's culture, if we're willing to stand up for the Lord and for his ways in, in this hostile environment in which we live, then we are going to see, uh, we are going to see stability where everything, when everything around us crashes down. And through changes and mergers and acquisitions, through all of the shaking that, that we face, we will be able to be secure rather than as insecure as we might be tempted to feel. Let's not give in. Let's not compromise. Let's speak the truth. And at the same time, let's be kind and compassionate in how we do it. Let's pray. Father, we love the way that you gave us the book of Daniel and the message that you spoke in it. But Lord, it's so hard for us to live up to that standard. How difficult it is to be as faithful and to, be a, and to have as much integrity as the four friends. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to support one another, that just as the four friends did, we would be able to pray for, one each, other, pray for each other and hold each other up, that during our times of testing, that we would all stand firm because we all stand together in you, our Savior. So, Lord, would you help us during the times where we're tempted to, uh, to eat their meat and drink their wine, the times that we're tempted to give in and simply do things the, the company way so we don't rock the boat. And Father, the next time it comes up, I ask that your Holy Spirit would, would remind us of this message and say, this is, this is exactly that situation. Would you help us, Lord, and be with us? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When Daniel and his friends refused to eat the king's meat, and drink the king's wine. It's because they knew that, the, that, that, that he or she who eats with the God is friends with the God. We become like them. We know them. We love them. So when we come to this table, when we eat the bread which was broken, we are saying, Jesus, I am willing to become like you, to follow you, to be with you, to stand as you did before my accusers and not open my mouth. And if it means that my life, my, my security, my career is destroyed, then so be it. For you are the God who raises the dead. And when we drink this cup, we drink it together with Jesus. We say, Jesus, you looked not only to live your own life in goodness and security and perfection, but you chose to save the lives of those around you. You chose to, to seek the cleansing of all mankind, even those who sent you to the cross. So let's choose today the humility of Jesus just as Daniel and his friends did in the land of Babylon. And when we go to work tomorrow, whether our workplace is, is, is clean and, and holy and pure or whether it's defiled, we know that we can serve him serve the Lord in all circumstances because he has already shown us the way. If you're willing to say yes to this attitude, if you're, if you're willing to say no to compromising the truth, if you're willing to say no 
to speaking the truth with a nasty, rebellious attitude. And if you say, Lord, please use me as you used Daniel, then this is your table. And I invite you to come and participate in the table of the Lord. Let's come. In preparation for this week, in preparation for facing trials, in preparation for facing all the the false gods of the nation in which we are, the gods of money and, and sex and power, Let's choose now to stand together. Let's be, for, let's be for one another what the four friends were, standing together to worship together the one God who created heaven and earth. Father, would you help us to be oriented toward you and connected to one another this week? That during the times we feel isolated on alone, whether we're in a cubicle or whether we're having to deal with people with needs and problems and concerns, whenever at work we would feel like you are far away, Lord, we ask that you yourself would come near and that your hand would be upon our shoulder and that we would feel you close. And during the times where doing wrong would be so easy, where having a bad attitude would be so simple, we ask, Lord, that we would be able to look to you to remember that your eye is upon us. And to know, Lord, that you care about the results and that we would follow. And Lord, though our job may be as as dark and as, as low as Babylon, we know that the light of your gospel is bright enough to shine. So Lord, we ask that you would bless us and make us a blessing. That we would have favor and bring favor everywhere we go. And that even, the, in, that even the Nebuchadnezzars at our job may be forced to acknowledge and see the work that you are accomplishing in and through us. Speak to us this week. Speak through us this week. May we be your prophets in every evil place where our feet must tread. We choose to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and give you grace. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is the official end of our service. Let's be lights in dark places and eat lunch together. Amen.